It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 120 of Locked On Canadians. We are your daily Montreal Canadiens podcast. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where you get your team every single day. I am, of course, one of your co-hosts. I am Scott Matla, and as always, I am joined by the active stick, Laura Saba. Laura, how are you on this Thursday evening? I've only taken my temperature 14 times today instead of 15 times, so my my sign of the times anxiety is going great. Yeah, I Laura is um, in her day job outside of this. This is not all we do. If it was, my parents might be slightly concerned about the life choices I've made. Um, Laura is now going to be working from home, if I understand everything correctly, and I will still be serving the masses at my day job, where as of right now, due to extenuating circumstances, I received basically a battlefield promotion at my job temporarily to help run the department that I'm in. It's um for everyone who is shopping or, you know, please treat the employees with respect and care. Just don't touch us, please. A kind word goes a long way for a lot of things. But, Laura, how are you uh, um, surviving at home uh, quarantining wise on your uh, potential days off? What is your go to or is it just uh, binging Netflix and bad TV still? Well, to be honest, I haven't gone into binge mode yet. I've decided that I'm going to try and set myself up for success by setting up a workstation before I do anything and then structure my day in, in such a way that like I'll force myself to go outside because we are allowed to go outside. Uh, it's not, you know, we, we just need to be careful what we touch and stay away from each other. Maybe if you want to go for a walk or run, you do it at a low, um, I guess a low traffic time. Uh, I don't know what rush hour is for people trying to get outside while working from home. But uh, until we're on complete lockdown, you know, I'm going to force myself to like take a walk every day after I'm done with the work portion of my day. And I keep saying this and maybe this time I'll actually do it. I'm going to redecorate and declutter my apartment. I did the walk thing. Uh, Carly spent Monday into Tuesday here where we just watched Disney Plus and got takeout Indian and everything. And I have to say, going for like a 20 to 30 minute walk really helped a lot because as much as I do love sitting inside and playing video games, and believe me, that's all I have done on my two days off this week was sit around and play video games, play The Outer Worlds if you're interested and want to kill some time. But getting to go out and walk, like, I was actually going to go to, like, we have a town park, and I was like, okay, you know, it shouldn't be too crowded. I'm going to go walk around, like, the perimeter of it and kind of get some exercise because the weather was nice. Then I pulled in, and there was a whole bunch of people there, and I'm just kind of like, what's the point of social distancing if none of you people are going to listen? So I didn't actually do it yesterday, and I wish I could have done it at work today because the weather's been great. It's supposed to be 70 tomorrow. Though apparently there's supposed to be power outages coming across Rochester, which, for the love of God, don't have a power outage at work for the second week in a row. However, um, this is not all, you know, COVID-19 talk on this podcast. We are a Canadian show. <laughs> and if you listen to our previous episode with Kyle Demetrius from Lockdown Charts, he is in the process of putting together our best Canadians player bracket thing challenge mode whatever we want to call it 
Kyle is currently working on that, and that is um, we're very excited for that. And then Laura, you also mentioned that people uh, sent us some suggestions for our bad players who are still defended bracket, correct? <laughs> yes. So if you didn't listen to yesterday's episode, first of all, please go and do that. I know a lot of people only tune into the mailbag episode, but it is well worth your time in these like really anxious times. I feel like an episode that's just straight up fun, but there was hockey talk. It's not like there wasn't any, but it was a fun episode. So please listen to it. It's episode 119. But in the episode, we started talking about the Sharks bracket that Kyle is doing for Locked on Sharks. And then we were like, well, let's talk about who would be on a Habs bracket. And he offered to make us one, so please listen to it and weigh in. And then it was kind of a throwaway comment, but a couple of my friends really liked the idea of let's make a bracket of current players who are NHLers. It can't be like an AHLer that like makes the NHL for like three games or whatever. Current players who are objectively bad that get defended by their fans. And so our, I guess what was like, we were talking about Martin Jones because there's always like goalie controversies in all kinds of teams. And, and, and so somebody suggested like, first of all, I got a question, you know, do they have to currently be playing or could it be recent? And I'm like, well, let's not go back too much, but I got a suggestion for Max Talbot, which I thought was, I mean, he scored a game winning uh, Stanley cup winning goal, but he objectively was not a player that was as good as, uh, people said he was. And then as soon as my friend said that, I was like, well, Marc-Andre Fleury, for that matter, <laughs> he's not objectively bad, but he's defended even when he does play terribly. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is there's so many people, it all depends on, like, what side of things you're on. Because you said, like, someone said Tom Wilson. And here's the thing. Tom Wilson is an objectively good player at hockey. He is also an objectively giant piece of crap on the ice. <laughs> and those kind of things aren't related. It's not like he's just a, he's not, he's not like Maxim Lapierre who is just, you know, a giant crummy, you know, jerk of a person. He's not Rafi Torres, like, like objectively bad that gets defended is like Cody CC or like Douglas Murray in Montreal, like objectively exactly. Exactly. Zach Ronaldo. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. I don't know if anyone defends Zach Ronaldo, and if anyone defends <laughs> Zach Ronaldo, I have a lot of questions about their credentials, so. But um, we will be working on that bracket, too. We're going to have a lot of fun with that one, just because there are so many potentially bad players to make fun of during this, and there will be more than the, our fair share of Habs on there. I almost guarantee it. I mean, who could ever forget the Steve Ott experiment in Montreal? Let's oh, be entirely no. honest. Oh, no. You know what? As you were talking, I thought about this. I was like, okay, what about objectively good players who are pieces of crap, like Corey Perry? Evgeny Malkin. That's a whole other, yeah, that's, well, that's debatable. I mean, he's kind of like, he's sneaky about it, but like, there's. It doesn't mean he's not a dirty player, though. (laughs) Oh, no, I agree with you, but there's like the shameless ones, like Tom Wilson or like Corey Perry for sure. Like, those are the kind of guys that I... Oh, Jack Johnson was suggested for the objectively bad players that get defended. But I think we should do, like, two more brackets. I know it's not going to be March. It's going to be, like, June, and we're still going to be doing brackets. We're going to do the June jam, you know, bad player bracket. I already have my other one seed for the bad players who get defended a lot, and it's Rasmus Ristolainen. But I don't want to give away too much before we delve fully into this. Um, It is Friday. Laura has our mailbag questions, and when we come back, we are going to dive right into the mailbag. So you've got questions about food, 
about board games, about the best Canadian starting lineup that we could possibly put together, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So as always, um, we're going to dive in the mailbag, and we'll get to that coming up next. Have you ever seen an NHL player get off a team bus and think to yourself, gosh, I wish I could dress that nice? Well, with Indochino, you can. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Recently, I was shopping for a new dress shirt for my upcoming wedding, and when I decided to go with the Hyde Herringbone shirt, I was blown away at all the customization options I had. I could change the type of collar, cuffs, and even decide whether or not I wanted a chest pocket, all while being incredibly affordable, especially given the quality of the product I was getting. New colors, fabrics, and outerwear styles are added regularly too, so it's easy to create your next look. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code NHL to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code NHL. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Canadians is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Canadians fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Canadians fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. It is the Friday episode. It is the Friday Lockdown Canadians mailbag. And as always, if you want to be featured in the Lockdown Canadians mailbag, and which you should because it's the best time we have on this show, hit us up at LO underscore Canadians. You can send us emails at LockdownCanadians at gmail.com if it won't fit in the 280 word limit or character limit on Twitter. You can hit up Laura at the active stick. You can hit myself up at Scott Matla. We want to hear all of your questions because we're only going to get through this with interaction from all of you out there. And to those who send in questions every week, thank you so much. Laura, what do we have for this week? So let's start with friend of the show and sometimes guest co-host of the show, Julian McKenzie. And his question is, build a starting lineup of Habs players over the last five years. Okay. So, we're talking just the three forwards, two defensemen, one goalie, correct? I think so. He didn't qualify it, but I think that that's what he meant. I was going to say, gonna be here forever if we're going to do like a 23-man roster. I was going to say, I only did the research for the starting six, so I'm very glad about that. Um, <laughs> I The way I see it is, I'll go through, we'll start from goalie and our way out, and I'll name my players if you want to name yours afterwards, and we'll see how similar our lineups kind of are. Mm -hmm. Um, starting in net, I'm sure we're both going to have the same answer here. The starting goalie for the Montreal Canadiens of the past five years is 
Keith Kincaid. That was my answer, too. How did you know? Well, I mean, he had to win at something eventually. Um, <laughs> you know, obviously it's Carey Price. Like, come on. There's, it would, if it was the last 10 years, it would still be Carey Price. Like, there's no way around that. Uh, on defense, and I'm gonna, um, on left defense, I have number 79, I have Andre Markov, and on the right, I'm going to go with number 26, Jeff Petrie. I feel like that's a context thing, isn't it? Because those two would work really well together. I don't think that you can have someone you can describe as steady as much as you can with both of them. And I feel like I don't want to cheat and be like, I agree with you and then take yours. So I'm going to replace Petrie with Weber. And here's the thing about that is that Petrie and Markov were a second pairing on the Canadians when in Markov's last season here. And guess what? They were really, really freaking good together. And then they were like, okay, bye, Andre. Okay, bye. And Montreal's been looking for a left-handed defenseman to run the power play ever since. And, I mean, it was hard for me because on the right side in the last five years, you have Petrie, you have Subban, and you have Shea Weber. You have three incredibly good options there. And on the left side, like, we have Brett Kulak, Andre Markov, and Ben Sherratt. I guess the left side of the defense has been uh, lacking to kind of put it lightly. I think, I don't think there's anyone that could possibly challenge Markov for that spot. Agreed. And I think he's one of those players that was so incredibly underrated in the league as a whole, but thankfully Montreal kind of knew his value. Maybe the organization didn't, maybe they thought he was a little bit too old and they wanted to part ways with him. But I remember having conversations about when this guy's gone, the Canadians are screwed, and it kind of turned out that way, didn't it? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it wasn't the end of the world, but, like, still wasn't ideal that we lost our, you know, power play quarterback and all this other stuff with him that it's like, okay, this was uh not ideal. Let's be entirely honest here, so... And now comes the fun part. We have to pick from the forward core. And so of the past five years, I'm looking at the Canadians depth chart right now. And if we're starting, if you don't put Max Pacioretty on it, I'm not talking to you ever again. Uh, so (laughs) I was getting to that. (laughs) Uh, my starting left winger is of course Max Pacioretty. I'm looking at the Canadians depth chart right now and Thomas Tatar has made a very good case. But Max Pacioretty was, you know, Max Pacioretty for the longest time. He was the team captain. He was the heart and soul, not heart and soul really, but he was the offense for a very, very long time. And I don't think it would be right to leave him off of that starting left wing spot there. No, absolutely. And I still love him. And I know... There was a school of thought mostly among Bruins fans, but opposing fans hate Max Pacioretty. And I I never thought of him as anything like a a dirty player or a sneaky player or anything like that. But they really, really hated him. And I just, I thought he was amazing. I thought he was like very chill and very calm. Like he exemplified sort of like the idea, like the fake idea of leadership that people like to peddle 
Um, and, but he was a really good on ice player and his stats were out, out astounding. And I, I used to be really bitter about how people would treat him, to be honest, not necessarily treat him to his face. I mean, like in the media or especially among the fan base, how much better did they want, did they want him to get? And I, I remember somebody had done an, an analysis of scoring over a certain period of time. And I honestly cannot remember what that period of time was. And the only guy who had done more was Ovechkin, like for, for crying out loud. <laughs> so anyway, so Max Pacioretty is like super at the top of my list. Yeah, he was very underappreciated and he did get us quite the return and he's doing well in Vegas and Montreal's doing it. It's one of the few trades where everyone ends up uh, happy uh, in that regard. Um, we're going to shift, we're going to shift over center because I feel like there's a very interesting debate we had at center on the right, I'm going to pick Brendan Gallagher. And I don't, the only person I think that could come close to, you know, kind of matching him would be the one year we had of Alex Radulov. But I think Brendan Gallagher is the choice there. He's the guy who is the embodiment of, you know, heart and soul for the Canadians. It's hard to not have him on our list there. Oh, absolutely. And I think that we've talked a lot about how he is, in oftentimes the identity of this team. And it's partly because of the longevity of his like Montreal tenure. I do think he's been here long enough that he's kind of earned that, 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 um, I don't want to say repetition, that image. Like he is the Montreal Canadians, mostly because they keep trading away other players that people like. And so I, yeah, I, I don't think, and, and if you're looking at your starting lineup, like he's going to be the one who's going hard to the net. He's going to be the one, you know how Max Petrity always gets called a perimeter player, but really he's not. Uh, and so like Brendan Gallagher is the exact complement to what Max Petrity is actually doing. Yeah. And he was the crash and bang to Max Pat. He, Brendan Gallagher was the thunder to Max Petrity's lightning. Basically Petrity was, you know, quick wrist shot, snipe, goal. Brendan Gallagher is, I'm going to just come barreling in here and make a whole bunch of noise and hope the puck goes in, which is what he did. And it's why they worked so well, depending on, you know, who was playing center between them or whatever. They were polar opposite style players in the way that they scored their goals, but they found that mesh that worked so well for them. Um, the Now comes the interesting part. Laura, who is your uh, starting center for the Canadians of the last five years? Does Nick Suzuki count? Uh, yes, and that is actually not who I thought you were going to go with. And I've sat here, and I'm still arguing with myself whether it's Philip Deneau or Thomas Placanitz. Interesting. And Placanitz wasn't very good at the end of his career, which, you know, sucks to see. But in the first part of those first five years, Thomas Placanis was incredible. He was a shutdown centerman who put up 40 points with relative ease every year. And now that's Philip Deneau's job. Is it, I don't know which one to pick if I had to put one out there between Patchetti and Gallagher because they both played between Patchetti and Gallagher. They both had <laughs> success playing between Patchetti and Gallagher, and they both don't seem to get appreciated enough when they were playing between Patchetti and Gallagher. And now I'm just trying to figure out which one do I pick. <laughs> well, it's really interesting when you say that because Thomas Plakanitz, I 
I, I feel was a little bit more accurately rated than Philippe Deno. And, and the reason that I say that is because you always would hear in the playoffs, you'd always be like, oh, Placanitz has gone quiet. Placanitz has gone quiet. And I would just like get so mad at that because like if you're, if you have a brain and you're thinking clearly, then you understand that when you're in the playoffs, you're presumably there against coaches who were good enough to get their teams to the playoffs and therefore they have half a brain and therefore all of that, their best players are going up against Thomas Placanitz. Like he's always wearing at least one player from the other team when he's trying to do anything. And so, and that was the thing is that like, you know, the depth thing comes up again because like when you have a, a, a player like Placanitz, where the other team is focusing on whether it's their, you know, their top shutdown pairing or, or just even their best players going out there and trying to, trying to mitigate the Pocanitz factor as much as possible. You know, you need somebody coming up behind them creating, creating scoring. And that was always the Canadians, uh, I guess downfall in, in, during his tenure here. So it was never that Pocanitz wasn't showing up. It's that every other opponent was showing up simply and, and not solely, but mainly for Placanids. And so I think that with Philippe Dano, he's like a little bit more underrated. He's a, he, he doesn't get that same focus. And of course, the Canadians haven't made the playoffs as much in, in, in his time here as they had before when Placanids was throughout Placanids' tenure in Montreal. So I, I feel like I would go with Dano in, in, in sort of just the like, I feel like he's kind of a little bit more, uh, like the element of surprise is there. Yeah, that's it's like I I can't choose, so I I'm gonna lean towards Philip Deno right now. But if we were to shift this like back even a couple more years, I look at that and I go, it's Thomas Placanitz by far, considering how good he was, and it's it's also kind of points out a very obvious flaw is that Montreal hasn't had a lot of very good centers. You know, Lars Eller, God, God bless you. You were fantastic, but not offensively gifted at the same level. It points out a big flaw with the Canadians, but I think now that's going to change that if we were to do this in three years, it might be entirely different. We're going to be arguing whether it's Nick Suzuki or Jesperi Kotkaniemi. It's a very different viewpoint than what it was past five years, give or take. I just want to mention once again how much I love Nick Suzuki. I feel like it's been about a week since I've said that. We haven't called him Cerebral in like two weeks, so we're going to do it right now. <laughs> do we have any more hockey-related questions, Laura, or was that it for actual hockey things? Oh, we do. Uh, we have Jeff the Red has asked us two questions. His first question is kind of like an overlap with our discussion of our best game memories, which thank you for listening, Jeff. It's been, it's been a bit weird this week. We aren't, uh, feeling as much part of people's routines as before, obviously, because people aren't really commuting or going to the gym. And so we appreciate every last person who's been listening to us and our shows in the last little while are going to be timeless obviously because there's not a lot of different news going on so we were really hoping that people will go back and you definitely want to listen to episode 117 it's called our favorite game stories and i guess the first habs game i don't know does it like he said what was your first habs game live so i know that you've gone to see the habs elsewhere but i don't know which one your first ever game was 
So my first game that I ever saw the Canadians play in person was, I want to say, the 2011-20, no, it might have been the 2010-2011 season. They were playing in Buffalo, and they, I actually got to see a win. We were sitting about 10 rows behind the net where the Canadians shot twice. In that game that featured Andre Markov and Lars Eller and Max Pacioretty and P.K. Subban, Goals were scored by Jeff Halpern and Benoit Pouliot in a 3-2 victory over uh, Buffalo. Of note in that game, the only thing that I can really point out that happened was Patrick Coletta, but objectively bad hockey player that people defend, add him to the list, um, sucker punched Andre Markov and somehow didn't get thrown out of the game for it. That was my uh, first experience there. Um if we were sitting right behind the net, it was right after TSN had um, acquired broadcasting rights that they were hosting more Canadians games now. Because there's a photo of myself with a sign that says, TSN, thanks for more Habs. And I have no idea who that guy was, but that was my first uh, Canadians game I saw in person. I'm glad it was a win. Um, I also got a win. And I don't really talk about this anymore. Like, I have mentioned it sort of on the show indirectly. Um, and I, I just, it always feels like bragging or being smug when I just happen to be in the right place at the right time. And it was, believe it or not, you might know this because cause it, it, there's a thing floating around on Habs, Eyes on the Prize about it, way back when, way back when we first started. And it was... um Saku's return, and so I didn't know anything about hockey, and I remember bawling for, like, however long a hockey game actually takes, like, what is it, like, two and a half hours? Um, I, I truly, like, I had no idea what was going on. I just landed there at the right place at the right time, and I I can't, like, I can't describe those feelings. So I, I think you could just imagine knowing how much of, like, a crier I am that it was that how could I not become a hockey fan? How could I not become a Habs fan? How could I not threaten to fight anybody who says that Saku's ever overrated? Um and how can I not like how can he not be my favorite hockey player ever? And and I I love, you know, really good, really talented hockey players. I appreciate them. There's players out there that I know are way more elite, quote unquote elite than he ever will be, but there's no hockey player. I literally will not love another hockey player as much as I love Saku, possibly even if I have children and those children grow up to become hockey players. I mean, that's one hell of a game to see as your first one live. Let's be entirely honest here. Um, what else did Jeff have for us, Laura? Jeff had another question for us. Um, and this one, I feel like what we're going to do is I think we can like do a quick answer for this question. And then maybe we can turn this into a debate later on as the uh, fake off season goes on. And his question is, if the season does resume at some point, what is your preferred format? And I'm just going to go ahead and say as close to Hunger Games as you could possibly get. That's what I want. I want it to be a mascot Royal Rumble. <laughs> I don't care happens, if they like play the hockey. Flyers win the cup? Yeah, exactly. It's just we're gonna have the mascots enter one through thirty-one, and the winning mascot wins the Stanley Cup for his team. Like I, I want utter ridiculousness and chaos. Um, Maybe real we answer, can get Sean. 
Sorry. No, I was no, going to say, ahead. maybe we can get Sean Woodley to come on and, like, have this discussion with us. Sean, if you're listening, will you please come on the show and discuss Mascot Royal Rumble with us? Yes, please. Um, My real thing is just take the 16 best teams right now and put them in the playoffs and play it the eight best teams in each conference and play it out if the season were to resume as quick as possible and get it done. Otherwise, just don't award a Stanley Cup this year. If next season is so important to you, don't try and force anything that's going to throw off the next full season as well. I think that's uh, like a really good point. The only thing that I would want a, a qualifier I'd want from you is would it be best team just in terms of like straight up rankings right now or points percentage? Uh, points percentage. That seems very fair. So I think that's it for the hockey questions. So in our final segment, then, we will get into the non-hockey nonsense, which is actually what we love to do. And we'll get into that coming up next. Have you ever seen an NHL player get off a team bus and think to yourself, gosh, I wish I could dress that nice? Well, with Indochino, you can. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Recently, I was shopping for a new dress shirt for my upcoming wedding, and when I decided to go with the Hyde Herringbone shirt, I was blown away at all the customization options I had. I could change the type of collar, cuffs, and even decide whether or not I wanted a chest pocket, all while being incredibly affordable, especially given the quality of the product I was getting. New colors, fabrics, and outerwear styles are added regularly too, so it's easy to create your next look. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code NHL to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at com with code NHL. We are back. We are here with now our final few questions, none of which are related to hockey, sort of, for the most part. Laura, let them rip. So our very first question comes from our, I'm going to call her a regular guest now, Hannah B, Hannah Burrito on Twitter, uh, H Burrito on Twitter. She's one of uh, my favorite guests, my favorite new people that I've discovered in recent years on Twitter. And also I'm going to be on her show. It's, it's, a, it's a shameless self-plug, the, the woman advantage. She had talked about it when she was on. And uh, her question is, which member of the Canadians has the cutest pet? It can be any kind of pet. So oh, That's tough because, like, I want to say Paul Byron's golden retrievers are adorable. Uh, so is Max Domi's dog, and he is there for, you know, important medical things. But my answer is going to be a little bit out there. It's going to be Victor Mete's uh, golden lab. Uh, that he calls Kai Guy on uh, Instagram is my pick. <laughs> oh man, this is gonna be hard. I'm I'm trying to like I'm thinking back to remember when they had a holiday party and there was like guest cameos by the pets. Yes. Oh man. Hmm. I might have to look this up. Hold on, Victor Mete. Yes. Okay, you know what? No, I'm going with Paul Byron's dogs. There you have it. Then I mean. All dogs are good dogs, let's be entirely honest here. So uh, we need to make that very known here, is that we appreciate all the Canadians' dogs. All dog content. And also, if you have a dog or, like, a particularly cute cat, only cute cats, only fat ones, um, 
if if you have uh, cute pets and you want to brighten people's day, you can at us on Twitter with a picture of them and we will retweet it and brighten everybody else's day as well. It's been something that has really helped with my anxiety in the last couple of weeks is I, I've asked people for, for pet pictures. I asked for cats cuddling the other day and that turned out to be even cuter than I thought. So please feel free to share your pets with us and uh, let us know if it's okay for us to share your pets with our followers. Uh, and I guess uh, that that was a good question. I've got another fun question. I'm going to leave the food question till the end. This one comes from Locked on Ducks, which is hosted by J.D. Hernandez, who was on our show for episode 116. If you want to have some AHL talk and some talk about uh, Nicolas Delorier, you can tune into that. But in the meantime, he wants to know what our favorite board games are. Candyland? I... <laughs> I, I'm gonna go with Candyland. You know what? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna plant my flag right there in like the Gumdrop Forest. I'm going with Candyland. Interesting. I don't think I've ever played Candyland. I feel like it would be right up my alley. And I don't think this will shock anybody to know that my favorite game board game is Trivial Pursuit. And I even like the themed ones. I know a lot of people are down on the themed ones. I love them. Nineties, Harry Potter, whatever. If it's something I know about. I, I love it. Uh, I also really like what, uh, playing themed Monopoly. Like, I, you know, I like original Monopoly. I have to say I'm not very good at it. I don't know what that says about, you know, my, my, how I am with money, but I enjoy that. I really don't like risk. Uh, I feel like I'm not very good at world, um, I guess domination. I don't know, uh, strategizing, but, uh, from like a sort of, uh, I'll tell you which one I really don't like is Cranium. Have you ever played Cranium? I have not played Cranium. Okay, so Cranium for anybody who has not played it is the one where it's like you have four different categories of stuff, and then one of them is like a trivia thing, one of them is like charades, one of them like charades and stuff like that. One of them is like you have to draw or make something out of clay, and then. I can't remember what the other thing is. Uh, spelling, maybe like some something like related to that. And honestly, I I'm really good at one thing, and that is trivia. And I'm not good at any other type of game. So <laughs> I always do so badly on cranium and themed cranium games. And it's sort of like that's the kind of thing that like destroys friendships. That that kind of game. So that's one game that I totally avoid. I mean, it's fun to watch other people play it and, like, fight amongst themselves, but I don't play it because I get way too involved. And then there's another game, which, um, it's like, I think it's Taboo. It's the one where you can't say what it is and, like, other people have to guess, like, what's on your card, right? Uh, yeah, where you put it up on your head or whatever and they try and, or you, or no, you're trying to describe what it is without using a bunch of certain words, yeah. Exactly. So, like, uh, a few years ago, my, uh, my sister and a close family friend of ours found Taboo in, like, various languages and we started playing them in other languages. And it's honestly really hard when you're trying to play it in, like, not your first language. But anyway, I really like board games. Uh, my, my sister, really really likes board games and she and her friends will often host game nights and sometimes will invite me and I just I feel like JD kind of started a monster like I feel like nobody's listening anymore I'm just talking about all the board games I like to play (laughs) (laughs) anyway so that's it so you you you're you're sticking with Candyland 
I'm sticking with Candyland. I don't care that I'm a 29-year-old adult. Fight me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're, you know, like a whole foot taller than I am, so maybe even more. You're 6'2", right? Yes. Yeah, so I'm like 5'0", so (laughs) I'm definitely not not fighting you. I don't mean you. I just meant, like, the internet. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Are there any games you think are overrated? Because I'm gonna get so I'm gonna get so many letters about this, but I think Scrabble is so overrated. It's just a way for smart people to feel smug. Monopoly sucks. It does nothing <laughs> but ruin my. I like we don't play Monopoly at game nights anymore because it just makes everyone angry. Like it's banned. <laughs> We're done here. We're done playing Monopoly. And like if I wanted to play Monopoly, I would just look at the United States currently, and then you know. <laughs> Oh, I hate that game so much. <laughs> that and Risk. <laughs> okay. I hate, we banned Risk in college because we had too many drinking nights where Risk almost ended in fist fights. So that, that's go. the end of Risk. <laughs> I yeah, I've never played. There's a game called Exploding Kittens. I've never played that. I'm very curious about what that is. Uh, I played but it. I think it's I'm gonna... fun. It's ridiculous. What is and it? It's fun. I could not describe it to you off the top of my head, but I've played it. It's enjoyable. Um. It's, if you like the kind of, like, random, like, thinking on your feet humor kind of games, Exploding Kittens is going to be for you. Awesome. Yes. Okay. I'm down for that. I have a final question from my friend, Shal, and she wants to know, my question is, what are your self-isolating snack foods? Apologies if this was already addressed. So last week, Jeff the Red asked us what our drinks were, and I said tea because I'm lame, and then I added scotch so that I could be a bit less lame. This week, Shao wants to know what our self-isolating snack foods are. I currently, um, it's uh, these things called popcorners. They're basically popcorn chips. I get all of the, like, puffiness of popcorn without all the kernels stuck in my teeth for six years. And outside of that, um, if I'm out, like, and I'm, like, having to run errands, like, I have to run to, like, the post office to drop something off or get gas for the car or, you know, pick up something for the household so my parents don't have to do it, I also have been enjoying disgusting 7-Eleven taquitos. Don't ask me why. I just don't mind them, and they make a nice filling lunch in the afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Mine is tough. Okay, so last week when, you know, things started getting a little bit more serious and we were told we should start self-isolating or quarantining or whatever you want to call it, I went out to get the most important item for self-quarantining for me is chocolate. Like, like literally like milk chocolate. So like I couldn't find the kind, the kind that I normally get. That's not true. The kind that I normally get is lint bars. Like, they have, like, the lint, like, the gold, like, the big one, the 300-gram, whatever it is, excellence or whatever it's called. And in most stores, they're, like, 9 or $10 Canadian, which is ridiculous for a $300, a 300-gram chocolate bar, right? But then I found this one store that has had them on special for for however long. I think it's, like, five $5.50 or five forty nine or something. So I went to that store. Like, specifically, like, people were like, oh, we're going to have to quarantine. And I was like, the chocolate. I have to go get the chocolate. And then I couldn't find any. So my right now in my apartment, there's, like, I want to say, like, eight bars of milk chocolate of some variety, like dairy milk, milka, all of that. 
And none of them are lint bars, and I haven't been eating any of it. Like, it's just sitting in my fridge right now. <laughs> so I guess that's not successful. But the other thing, like, for me that is super, super essential is, I don't know if everyone has heard of this, because I feel like Canada recently only got them, but it's called Pirate's Booty. I know you've got them in the States, and I know you've got different varieties, but in Canada, I've only found the, the white cheddar ones. And I was introduced to them when I went to the States, like, to visit a friend. And she was like, oh, my God, have you heard of this? And it became, like, so addicting. So I'll pick it up, you know, every time I'm in the States, or I used to. And then finally they started stocking it at um, the Loblaws chain in Canada. So you should check it out. It's usually in the gluten-free aisle. It's called Pirate's Booty. I realize they're not paying us for this, but if they want to, like, sponsor us, they can send me, like, you know, crates and crates of it. But that is absolutely something that I have stocked up on so that, you know, if I wanted to to, to eat a snack food, like, I mean, I've got, like, fruits and veggies that, that I'm planning to eat as well. But the Pirate's Booty is sort of like the, the cheat snack, I guess. Yeah, it's mostly because I, like, have a short, like, lunch at work and then I have something when I get home, like... I only snack on my days off, which are also mostly spent sleeping, so I don't kind of worry about it too much. <laughs> um, it's also whatever I can get my hands on at a given time. Like, when I leave work tomorrow, I'm probably going to pick up something for the weekend to snack on when I'm, you know, watching something on Netflix. And it all depends on what's left in the aisles at this point. Like, I had to buy the purple Gatorade Frost because all the blue Gatorade Frost was sold out. And I was fine with everything until you heathens bought all the good Gatorade for some reason and left me with purple. And now this is something that I shouldn't be ranting about on our show, but here we are. Does Gatorade count as a snack? Yes. All right, there we go. Um, so now that everyone's going, I'm going to leave everyone off with is Gatorade a snack as the final thought of this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. You can follow Laura at The Active Stick. You can follow me at Scott Matlow. You can follow the show at LO underscore Canadians on Twitter. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever. Thank you so much for everyone who listened, sent in questions. Now, ask your smart device to play the newest episode of Locked On NHL. Gil Martin here, host of the Locked On NHL podcast. Join me every Monday for the three biggest stories from across the NHL, including how newly traded players are fitting in around the league. Check out the Locked On NHL podcast every Monday, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.